Coming Back is a 100% listener-supported podcast. To support the show and to get your hands on some really cool podcast swag, head on over to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Your support keeps coming back ad-free, which is really awesome. Thank you. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, I'm talking to psychotherapist, author, designer, and fellow podcaster Kimberly Wilson, who one of our grief growers requested come on Coming Back. We're talking about the loss of her grandma and the loss of her beloved pug dog, Louie, and how she finds tranquility in the midst of grief. Also on the show today, I'm taking a cue from my conversation with Kimberly and diving into the unique relationships we have with our pets and why it hurts so much when we lose them. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches the transformational power of grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. Thank you for tuning in and for joining me today. I'm talking to you today just having seen the blue moon, blood moon, super moon, lunar eclipse out my window here in Chicago. And before I start the top of the show today, I want to just really quickly note how calming and comforting it is to watch astronomical events when you're grieving. Meteor showers are probably my personal favorite. There's actually one every single year on my birthday. But moon and sun events are also really grounding and a big reminder that humans have been doing this life thing for thousands of years. We've been around for thousands of years. It's kind of like that being so small in the face of the ocean feeling, which is just really nice to capture sometimes when your heart's feeling lonely. So later on today's show, I'm talking to Kimberly Wilson, who lost her grandmother, but she tells us in her interview uh, that a few years later, she had two other losses that hit her really hard, losing her all-black cat and losing her well-known pug, Louie. You will hear her mention that she's still really grieving and missing Mr. Louie, which became a kind of a key highlight of our conversation. So I wanted to talk about pet loss today. What about it makes it different than human loss? Why it's so hard when we lose our pets and what we can do to continue to remember them after they've died. So in doing some research and from personal experience and from talking to all of you in the grief growers garden, I kind of gathered that society holds these beliefs about our relationships with animals. Unfortunately, common responses to a pet dying are things like, Oh, don't feel bad. It was only a blank, insert species of pet here. Or, oh, it's okay, you can get another one. Or, I don't understand. You must be one of those crazy dog slash cat slash horse slash bird slash fish slash hamster people. And lastly, of course, the dreaded time heals all. These are really hurtful comments and ones that don't help hearts who have just lost a beloved pet. When we zoom out a little bit, we can see that there's stylized versions of four of the six grief myths, which I talk about in episode five of Coming Back. Don't feel bad. Replace the loss. 
grieve alone or other isolating statements such as you must be crazy, and time heals all. But on top of the fact that these are societal grief myths, they also imply something deeper about pet loss explicitly that's not always implied in human loss. There's this notion that the lives of pets have less value than the lives of humans. There's another notion that every pet is interchangeable, that relationships with our pets are not unique or special. And of course, there's a third notion that quote unquote, too much grief on your part is weird or other or permissible to make fun of or cast out from the norm. And just like with so many other things that are related to grief, society tells us that our love for our pets should be at kind of a, an arm's length kind of love. And pets are different than humans. They are. But, but for a lot of us, that's what we actually like about them. Pets are nonverbal for the most part. They communicate with us in ways other than talking, which brings us out of our heads where we come from a lot of human relationships and into our bodies. So things like going for walks, being able to pet them or ride them become the ways that we communicate with them, that we speak to them. And there's a type of connection there that we can't always have with the humans in our lives. Pets are also sources of unconditional love. They don't operate on the same moral or judgment level as we do, which is really refreshing. They're not clouded by this judgment of good or bad or right or wrong or Democrat or Republican. Some people find it so much easier to love a dog than to love their dad or their mom or their siblings or their grandparents or their coworkers because this weight of judgment or this weight of conditional love just doesn't exist in a pet relationship. They're always happy to see you. They're always happy you're home. They're, they're happy to be anywhere with you. They just want to be near you and spend time with you. And kind of the last big way that pets are different than humans is that they operate on instinct, not on societal norms. This is kind of similar to the unconditional love, no judgment thing, but I'm really meaning being themselves here. A pet's default setting is themselves. They don't put up walls to make you like them or make them seem like anything different than what they already are. They don't mask their habits or their personality, their lack of potty training, their appearance, their likes, their dislikes in order to please you or anybody else. Unlike humans, pets are 100% of the time just unashamedly themselves. So why is it so hard to lose them? I want to get into why pets in particular are hard to lose. So first, let's remember the definition of grief that's brought to us from the grief recovery method, which is grief is the collection of conflicting emotions brought on by the end of or change in a normal pattern of behavior. Pets are with us every single day. They are a part of our routines and regular everyday things like feeding them, taking them out, playing with them and sleeping with them are what normal looks like for us. So it's really jarring when that routine and that normalcy is upset. And all of a sudden, there's no one to feed. There's no one to take out. There's no one to play with. And there's no one sleeping beside you at night. A lot of articles I read on this, people noted that they spend more time with their pets than their coworkers or their siblings or their roommates or their spouses. It's no wonder that it's incredibly hard and you grieve when a pet dies. They're your everyday In the same vein, uh, second thing, pets are super dependent. They need us in order to live. 
They need us to do all the feeding and cleaning and exercising and caretaking on their behalf. Because of that responsibility and dedication and devotion, pets have a tendency to make us better people. Their dependency on us gives us something outside of ourselves to care for. And so when they die, not only do those everyday tasks stop, but that feeling of doing for something outside of ourselves can fade too. And that's really hard. That's a part of how we see ourselves. So many people frame themselves as their pet's parent, a dog mom or a cat dad or, you know, a bird parent, you know, things like that. And and when a pet dies, it's really easy to slip into this feeling of, well, now nothing I love is dependent on me. Who or what am I living for? Third thing is that we develop unique and special relationships with each of our pets. Just like different pieces of ourselves are brought out in different relationships and environments, different pieces of ourselves are brought out in different pets. So when I go home to North Carolina and take care of my 17-year-old cat, Cookie, I pet him softly. I take time to mash up and blend up food and medications for him. I laugh at how much he sleeps, and I move myself out of the way when he tries to get to the kitchen heater to sleep. Conversely, my Chicago cat, Mr. Five-Year-Old Gigi, who many of you have seen on my Instagram, he and I sleep and nap together. I'll play with his toes and kiss his belly when we're sleeping on the couch. I have trained him to hold still for nail clippings and to get off the counter when I snap my fingers. I always lay on the bed when I come home from a long trip so we can rebond and cuddle again. He and I are much more silly and much more kind of hands-on than I am with Cookie. And part of that has to do with age, but part of it is it's just a different relationship and a different personality with each animal. I know if I tried to nap with Cookie, he'd just get up and find another patch of sun that was away from me. And it's not a personal thing. He doesn't hate me because pets don't operate that way. It's just what he prefers. And Gigi, on the other hand, is so much of a leech, he literally will rest his paws on top of my face when we sleep, like he's claiming a part of me. I posted in the Grief Growers Garden about the relationships we have with our pets, and Stephanie Zamora, who we heard from on Coming Back as a Guest on Episode 8, said that of all of her pets, she feels like she has a very strong tie to her cat Max, who she feels she knew and was bonded to in a past life. I've heard of other people having soulmate connections the instant they see their furry babies for the first time at a shelter or a store. Guys, we have these beliefs and these depths of relationships that are very, very real to us with pets. Fourth reason why it's really hard to lose a pet, especially if they're older, if they've lived a long time, our pets have seen us through a lot of shit. They see us at our best and at our worst, when we get terrible news and when we're dancing around in excitement. They sit with us and they stay with us through our other griefs and losses, so death, divorce, diagnosis, etc. And they don't question our grief or behavior, they just continue to love us through it. And sometimes their getting older, their aging, coincides with big milestones in our lives. One article that I read was from a quote-unquote recovery cat who a woman took in right when she started getting sober from drugs. And each year, this cat, Callie, lived. Each year that she went on, she represented another year that this woman was clean. And another woman wrote how heartbreaking it was that her terminally ill cat would not get to see her reach a big milestone in her and her husband's life, which was bringing a new baby into the house. So these animals, they mark these milestones with us. 
fifth reason why it's hard to lose a pet is that we don't use death language with them. And this is kind of a, a sneaky one. We don't use death language for pets. We use this softer, more clinical language like put down or put to sleep or even euthanize. We don't use that language with people. And it makes it really hard to assign the weight and the permanence of death of a pet when the language for their death is so removed. It's so distant. It's kind of... um it's, it's softer. It's not as, as hands-on. It doesn't seem as harsh. Often, pets' deaths, too, are within our control, and that's hard, too. There's, there's these complicated emotions like guilt and regret for things we could have done, sadness, relief, heartache wrapped up in our pets' deaths, and soft language doesn't really help us or others see the severity of these deaths very clearly. And last, probably the biggest reason that it's so hard to lose a pet, is going back to what I said earlier. Society just doesn't acknowledge it the same way that it acknowledges other deaths. There's rarely an instance where you can take off work or take off school for the death of a pet. Funeral homes and other organizations don't always acknowledge the need to bury or cremate pets who have passed on. Friends and family tend to gloss over your unique relationship with your pet by asking when you're going to get another one or telling you to get over it because it's a dog. It's not like you lost a human in your life. There's just this this big stigma and silence surrounding pet loss that encourages pet owners to hurry up and get over it, get a new dog already, and not speak up about the inevitable heartbreak of losing this pet, of losing this relationship. So how can we honor our pets who have died, our furry and feathery and scaly family members? First way, of course, always is to talk about them. When a pet dies, let people know. Don't keep that to yourself. Some of the sweetest articles I read included stories of friends and family coming together for a night of sharing stories and pictures and videos of a pet who died. Think of it kind of as a a heavenly going away party. And it doesn't have to be a big gathering, maybe even you and a close friend, but making that connection with others who appreciate and love your pet is huge. And if you can't do something in person, share your story with people online who are willing to hold space and listen. We've shared lots of stories of pet loss many times in my private Facebook group, The Grief Growers Garden, if you'd like to join. We would love to hold space for your story and for your pet as well. Second is to join a group to bond with other grieving pet owners. And this kind of goes a step beyond just sharing the news to actually connecting over it connecting over this grief. Two organizations that I found on a quick search are, of course, the Grief Recovery Method, which has a special subset of Grief Recovery Method courses for pet loss, and the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement, or APLB. And they actually have online chat rooms where you can share stories and ask questions in addition to their in-person support groups. And I will link to both of these, the Grief Recovery Method and the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement uh, in the show notes. Lastly, ritualize and memorialize their death. You'll hear this later from Kimberly Wilson, how she's memorialized her pets through the years. But you can do all kinds of things to allow your pets to continue to take up space in your life and in your heart. So things like getting jewelry or a rock for your garden maid, having your pet cremated and then keeping or scattering ashes somewhere they loved, donating to a rescue organization or another charity on a regular basis that supports causes your pet might appreciate, a yearly birthday celebration with their favorite foods, keeping photos of them on social media and around your house, having a t-shirt made with their face on it. Literally, however you want to carry them forward into your life is up to you. Pets are not humans. 
And that makes things hard when we're grieving. It seems like there are a lot less people to relate to. Grief growers, there will be, there will be, there will be. There will be people who just don't understand. It's the case with all grief, but with pet loss in particular, there will just be people who don't understand. Immediately after the loss of your pet, don't try to make these your people, no matter how close they are to you. It's not your job in that moment to convert people who don't get what it's like to lose a pet while you need that comforting and that understanding and that space made for you. Find the people who get it first. Seek those people out first. And then you can start to open that conversation up with others once you're feeling a kind of a little bit more supported, a little more stabilized, and a little bit less alone in your loss. If you are grieving a pet, I am so sorry. If I'm the first person you're hearing from saying I'm sorry in regards to your beloved pet, I am sorry about that too. That's garbage. Your pet was an important part of your life and deserves to be remembered and treasured and loved for the rest of your life. I am so glad that you had the relationship with them that you did. It's so powerful and it's so, it's so fun. It's so amazing and such a gift to have a relationship with an animal in your life. If you've lost a pet or have something to say about grieving after a pet dies, I would absolutely love if you joined me for Facebook Live this Monday, February 5th at 1 o'clock Central Time. All you have to do is like my Facebook page, which is Shelby for Scythia Intuitive Grief Guide, to be notified when the broadcast begins. Next up, we'll talk to Kimberly Wilson about the loss of her grandmother, her cat, and her pug, Louie, and how she managed to work the idea of tranquility into her grief. Kimberly Wilson is a psychotherapist in private practice, the author of five books, and the designer of eco-fashion Tranquility. She founded Tranquil Space in 1999, named among the top 25 yoga studios in the world by Travel and Leisure, and hosts the podcast and blog Tranquility Du Jour. Her work has been featured in The Washington Post, Fast Company, U.S. News and World Report, Bella Grace, and more. Kimberly lives in Washington, D.C. with rescue pets and a partner. She dreams of Paris and starting a micro-sanctuary for pigs and pugs. I know that we've been wanting to have you on the show uh, since one of the grief growers in the grief growers garden actually requested that you come on. So I'm so excited that you said yes and that you're here to share your loss story with us. So let's jump in with your losses. Yeah. So, you know, thank you, by the way, for reaching out. This is such an important topic to me. And it's something that every time I've had a pretty intense loss, it's... uh, contributed to a pretty big change. So, you know, in 2012, I lost my beloved grandmother. She was 99 and a half, but, and I know people will be like, oh, it's a nice long life. And I'm like, no, it was not long enough. And um, she was in hospice care in Texas. And I had gone down that weekend to be with her, not expecting it to be the end by any means. She was you know, still trucking along despite having been in hospice for, gosh, like six weeks at that point. And we were not expecting this to be the end. And whenever I got there, 
things took a turn. And so I ended up staying with her uh, throughout that weekend and beyond and then was with her as she passed. And that really kind of shook me to the core. My grandmother was one of my absolute favorite beings from childhood. I remember I would play in her garden up at the lake in Oklahoma, this beautiful home that she'd built into a hill. And she had this huge garden and we would catch grasshoppers and butterflies and plants flowers. And um, so she has been a part of my life for many, many years and, and really, truly like one of my heroes. So losing her was a pretty challenging experience. And surprisingly so, because of course we knew the end was coming. She was 99 and a half, but still was not prepared for it. And so actually after that loss, I decided probably about a month later, maybe about three months later. And then I announced it. And then a month after that, so in May, I went on a semi-sabbatical. So basically, at that point, I had been eating, sleeping, breathing a yoga studio, two yoga studios that I had founded and was also in graduate school and just knew I needed to kind of step back. It was one of those experiences with grief when you can just tell that you know, I, I describe it as being encased in concrete. Ooh, like it's just, I love that visual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, it's like, it's, it's almost impossible to just get by with the day to day. And so that was, that was a big change for me. And I actually never returned from the one year semi-sabbatical <laughs> and I continued to be pulled away from the day to day operations of the studio as much as a founder can, um, who's pretty obsessed with details. So I, I did hand over a lot of management and bill pay and things along those lines. So that was my kind of first take with it. And it was, uh, it was incredibly jarring. Thank you so much for sharing that story and for telling us kind of that visual of being encased in concrete. I love people's metaphors and visuals for grief. When did you know? Like when when was kind of the point where you were like, okay, I need to I need to drop everything. This is the point. This is enough or I need to start doing something different. Yeah, I'd say pretty shortly after. So my grandmother passed in February and I went on semi sabbatical in May. And so I would say it was probably around April that I made the announcement. And, you know, it was a pretty big deal for having kind of managed and overseen a, a team for 15 years and, you know, always kind of at the studio and what have you. So to, to take the step back was a pretty big piece of um, my kind of life trajectory and the fact that I just realized I couldn't do it all. And at that point, I didn't want to do it all anymore. I just, it's like I needed the space and the time, which is something I'd never really had as a creative entrepreneur to fully immerse kind of in the grief process and to just create more space for myself. So I'd say within, within a month, I knew that, that something had to shift. And what was the sabbatical made of? Well, the idea was the semi-sabbatical was I was still going to be teaching at the studio. I just was not going to be managing or paying bills or there all the time. So I was still going to be going to graduate school, doing a, you know, part-time internship and managing a clothing line and, you know, all the other things I had. But from the studio perspective, I just wasn't going to be there every day. And you speak a bit on the need for creating space and creating time, which I know as a fellow entrepreneur is like almost impossible because when you 
are in a business, especially a heart-centered business, like it sounds like you have a lot of heart-centered businesses, it's hard to step away from that because you literally wake up in the morning and you go to sleep at night thinking about your business, thinking about your creations, thinking about your work. And I guess in the midst of that space and time, like where did you go? What did you do? What came up for you in all of that? Because when we make space and time for grief, I hear sometimes it can often surprise us with what comes up in the meantime. Yeah. Well, you know, what was interesting. What came up in the meantime with that is I never returned from the semi-sabbatical, right? So I just, I kept at that level of involvement, even after the May 15th deadline of returning had passed. And I'm like, hey, no one remembers that I said one year and it happened on May 15th. And then I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to return to doing that anymore. And um, so, so during that process, it was really interesting that it was the ability to step away and actually begin to become okay with it. And that allowed me also to put more energy into kind of the letting go process and recognition that she wasn't with us anymore and, uh, you know, how life was going to be different, how I wanted it to be different and what have you. So, that loss in particular, I think, had a pretty profound effect on me, you know, in the fact that it contributed to some pretty big life changes. Yeah, in the sense that you never kind of went back to that same level of energetic output. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's a great way to put it. You say that you took this time to really focus on the process of letting go. And what does that look like for you? Or what did that start to look like for you? Because a lot of people, when they approach grief, they're like, I don't even know what letting go is supposed to look like. And you kind of have to create rituals or even recognition in your own mind that, wow, okay, I think I'm letting go of this. That's what this looks like for me. You know, I did a lot of things around, I'm a big kind of writer, journal writer. She was a big diary keeper. Mm -hmm. I love Um, that. Yeah, so she kind of planted those seeds, right? So I did a lot of writing. I think writing is incredibly healing. I also, you know, it was interesting. We kept some pieces of her clothing. You know, she lived in a assisted living center at that point. So her closet was tiny. And there were just a few things. And, and I kept, you know, like some embroidery thread, uh, you know, a little like sewing, uh, you know, this cute little like cross-stitched sewing pad where you put your needles. So, you know, I had things like that on display. I would wear the sweater that she had worn all the time because she was always cold, even when it was a hundred degrees in Texas. (laughs) And, um, you know, so I kept that. So I would wear things. I had things that she had made or jewelry or, you know, little trinkets. I had those around and it was this way. And then of course I did a lot of writing. And so it was, it was this way to really you know, begin to come to terms with it. I also saw a hospice grief counselor for a couple of months, maybe two or three until she moved. And that was so, so helpful. I highly recommend that. I I found that to be incredibly helpful, particularly somebody who deals with grief and loss. And, you know, there's so much grief and loss, right? From losing a job to a beloved pet, which happened to me in 2015, which I still have not recovered from, to, you know, losing a relationship, to losing a city that you loved and you, you know, you've had to move on or transition. So, you know, loss is something that we're constantly dealing with. And so the more that we're able to work with that, I think it really helps us to to keep going because it's such a consistent part of who we are. To engage with it helps us keep going with it. 
You mentioned another loss of yours in 2015 of a pet. Yes. Can you tell us that story as well? Yeah, so 2015, um, it was interesting. It was right before, it was maybe like December of 2014, like a beloved black pug who totally obsessed with. He was 10 years old. Yeah, he was like, truly, when I say, like, I've, been, I've had a partner for 14 years, I'm like, meanwhile, this dog was the love of my life, right? So <laughs> obsessed. His name was Louis the Pug. And, you know, a lot of my, like, podcast listeners knew him because he was always snoring through interviews or people had <laughs> met him on re- retreats or, you know, so he was kind of, he was, he was a, a well-loved pug. And it was in the fall, late 2014, we just noticed he had some sinus things going on, which is not odd at all for a pug. And so we took him in and, you know, he had, uh, you know, the sinus infection pills, whatever. And it seemed to kind of be clearing it up, but not fully. And then in January, he had a seizure. I thought I was going to like lose it. I mean, it was so scary. And if you've ever been around a pet or a person, you know, having a seizure, it's so, so traumatic. And then he woke up from it. He was disoriented, but he seemed fine. So it was this really weird experience. So anyway, we get him in to see a neurologist. And, you know, long story short, before I know it, he's diagnosed with brain cancer. And he has this large tumor growing like behind his nasal passage, which is odd because it's more commonly found with dogs that have like a, a snout and he clearly did. He had like none, right? He was just flat faced as a pug. So that was really traumatic. And so, you know, we really didn't have options cause you can't operate in that area. And then also chemotherapy was an option, but it would only extend his life a, a couple of months. And we were like, we wouldn't even do that to ourselves. So, you know, we kept doing all we could to keep him as comfortable as possible. And, and also told ourselves quality of life was critical. So we would never keep him around just for ourselves. We knew that we needed to do what was right for him. So he's diagnosed late January, and then we lost him mid April. And Oh, like it's even hard to talk about. It's still so traumatic. And it's been my God, it's been almost three years now. But I don't know. I mean, I really don't know if I'll ever get over that. And um, it's interesting, you know, I, I read too, like, someone because of course, I did a lot of reading after the loss of him in particular, you know, around the loss of pets. And I was like, why is it so traumatic to lose a pet? And, you know, one of the the articles I came across was like, why it was harder to lose my dog than my mom. Mm. And it was interesting. And the woman was talking about the fact that you know, with people, we have stuff, right? There's always stuff. There's like some place they've disappointed us, some place they've let us down, vice versa. There's been some conflict, you know, whereas a dog, it's like, yeah, they can misbehave, but there's like this unconditional regard. And I thought that article did a great way of explaining why pet loss is like truly so, so traumatic. And, um, you know, to get me through that, I actually, within a couple of weeks, I stopped teaching yoga and I had been teaching yoga nonstop for at that point, probably 16 years. Wow. And I was just like, I can't go in and tell people to inhale and exhale because I don't care right now. You know, it's like, I am just like not in a place where I want to be showing up and doing this and, and I can't, like I physically just can't. And so yeah, I stopped teaching yoga regularly then and and I never returned to a regular yoga class after that. And that's, 
you know, despite owning two studios, teaching a lot since 1999 when I started teaching. And it just like, uh, you know, it really just brought me to my knees. I'm so sorry for both of these losses. And this one sounds like, like he's especially lodged in your heart. And I love that for you. But at the same time, it's so heartbreaking. I'm kind of drawing this parallel between the loss of your grandmother and the loss of your dog in that she died in hospice care. And then with him, you kind of became his hospice experience. There's not really, I mean, to my knowledge, there's not like a hospice for pets or, or dogs or cats when we go to lose them. But this, this attention and this detail to the quality of his life and, and keeping him out of pain and things like that, I think, I don't know, I'm getting this energetic sense that maybe your experience from the loss of your grandmother informed the loss with him. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say so. You know, I think too, just a heads up, there actually is hospice for oh. dogs uh, and pets, if you can believe it. And we actually kind of had that, I mean, to a degree, because we had a natural, uh, a, God, like a, I forget the name for it, but it's like a natural vet. So it's a vet who has gone through all the MD training, but then also does this other piece, which is like acupuncture and herbs and all of that. And we didn't, we didn't find the herbs to be helpful. We did some acupuncture with him, but she also was able to come to the house to um, put him down, which is like the worst phrase ever, but um, which was really good because we didn't want to take him to this like sterile environment of the vet, which is lovely. And they had been so great, but, you know, to be able to have him here was really, really important. And yes, you know, definitely it did inform and I forgot to mention in 2013, I lost my firstborn cat and similar experience where I, I also brought this woman in. He had cancer, you know, so that happened in 2013. And that was quite traumatic. It wasn't the degree with Louie, but he was like my firstborn. And like, I was obsessed with this, like really mean, nasty black cat. <laughs> and I'd had him for like 14 years, right? So we were quite connected. And that was that was pretty traumatic. And then my a dog in 2015. So I'm like, why did I miss the cat one? I totally skipped that as I was telling you all this. And yeah, it was cancer too. So you know, it's just like, um, loss after loss, I will say, it uh, helps to inform how painful it is and to know like, okay, this is what to expect. Like, this is not easy. And one thing that I read at some point um, in this book called In Lieu of Flowers, I think, is that each loss you have, it, it builds on the other. And so that's why the more losses you have, kind of the more intense it becomes. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of stuck with me as to why, you know, particularly Louie three years ago may have been so, so hard. That's a great point to make. And it's something that I've read in my work as well. It's the idea of grief being cumulative, like it builds on itself over time, the more losses that you have, especially if those uh, griefs if those relationships go unaddressed. So if you didn't see a hospice counselor, or if you didn't put the energy into writing, to reading, to taking that time for yourself and giving that time and space to yourself to really process these losses, there's also another school of thought that kind of can can run alongside this idea of grief being cumulative, and that is each loss has two ingredients, and that's time and intensity. So we can grieve 
a lot for someone we've known for our whole lifetime. And it really just blows our world open. But we can also grieve for somebody we knew and loved very, very intensely that we felt very, very connected to, even if we only felt connected to them for maybe a year or two years, and or even shorter than that, like six months. And it's interesting how society like grades, quote unquote, these levels of losses. So for some reason, if you don't know somebody for a very long time, it seems less valid than if you knew them for your entire lifetime, or if they're not capable of, quote unquote, speaking like pets and things like that are, there's like this less validation that comes from society of, oh, they were just a dog. And, and you're just like, no, but this level of intensity that this being lodged in my heart feeling that I have for these babies, you know, this is not comparable. No relationships are comparable to each other. So yeah, I think you're really onto something there. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting, this idea of it being cumulative because you're just like, oh, well, can't I get through one and like be done with it and then be fresh for the next one? That's what the movies tell you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hollywood makes it look like that. No, I mean, it it just, you know, it's surprising, I think, of the, the depth, the level of the intensity that happens with, with loss. Yeah. I'm really interested to shift now into the work that you do, because your overarching theme is tranquility. And when I think of tranquility, I think of like, peaceful ponds and Zen gardens and being lost in the forest and like the snow falling and having no one around. And I'm, I'm interested to how you got to this place in this space, or I imagine you created it before these losses happened, but maybe how you've managed to maintain, redefine, share the message of tranquility through these losses and through your life. Yeah, it's funny, you know, a tranquility and the images that you just mentioned, because you're right. I mean, that's, I think, what people have in mind whenever there's this, uh, the word, when you see the word tranquil. And to me, I've always kind of been like, how can we find this sense of tranquility within our everyday, meaning within, you know, the sirens and the uh, lost keys and the, uh, you know, overflowing laundry basket, you know, I mean, whatever it is, it's um, how to be able to actually bring a little bit of that into our everyday life. And if you think about it, too, with regard to the grief process, I think of it as like the sense of softness, you know, bringing in the sense of kind of compassion into a really, really challenging situation. How can we bring like small chunks of tranquility into our grief? The biggest thing that I recommend for people is to take really good care of yourself. I mean, which sounds trite and cliche, but I, you know, it's so, so critically important. So for example, you know, I found that during these losses, I needed to sleep a lot, right? So I mentioned earlier feeling encased in concrete. So I needed to, I needed to sleep a lot and I needed to rest a lot more than usual. So my energy, say if it was typically at like 90%, it went to probably about a 40. So I had to keep that in mind with regard to what I committed to, what I took on, what I said yes to, what I let go of, etc. And I think that that is one of the biggest things that is so, so, so very important. Um, You know, also to do little things to help memorialize it. And 
what I mean by that is, so with Louie, when we lost him, we went the next day to pick up his ashes. And then we went straight to a Home Depot to get flowers and, you know, and colors that he liked. Not that we knew he liked him, but we thought he liked him. <laughs> sure. And then, <laughs> sure. And, um, you know, with monkey grass, which was his favorite, uh, you know, to play in. And, you know, so we went and we got all this stuff and we ordered on Etsy this stone that said Louie and a paw print. And we got him this beautiful urn, you know, so doing things like that. And with my grandmother, I got a small urn, too, to have some of her ashes. The rest were buried, but I, I was able to take some. And then also with Bonard, the kitty, I've got his ashes. So, like, my mantle is, like, full of ashes, right? <laughs> it's, like, got three different urns for my three loved ones and um, that I've lost. And so that, you know, I think has been a really important way for me, you know, to be able to you know, keep this connection alive and keep them as part of me while also knowing that they're no longer with me physically. And then also, you know, as I mentioned, the wearing of my grandmother's clothes, which may sound a little odd, but I found that very comforting. Again, it was like this sweet little cardigan, you know, and it was just, I don't know, it just, it, 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 it smelled like her, you know, so things like that, I think are really important. I did tons of reading about grief. And I also talked, you know, with other people who had lost family members or pets. And that was helpful. But I will say the one thing that is not helpful, that I think everyone should keep in mind is the, oh, I remember how hard it was when I lost my grandma. Or, oh, I remember how hard it was when I lost little Nookie, you know, their dog. And I, I just remember I would get a lot of those sort of cards or comments. And it was so jarring um, because while I I get that it feels like this is relatable, that's not helpful to someone who is grieving at all. They don't care about your story unless they're asking for it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, there's something that's called a concept that's called intellectually true, emotionally not helpful. And it's this whole like, well, if we had the same experience, it should be relatable. And it but emotionally, it's absolutely not helpful at all. And at the worst, it's kind of like insulting or offensive. It is. I remember I would get cards like that. And I would toss them, I wouldn't even fully read them. And I was <laughs> I like, would too. like, set them on fire for all I care. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I, I don't know why I felt so offended by that. And yet it was so thoughtful, right, that someone would reach out and send something. But yet they're sending me their grief. And that uh, that was just quite jarring. So that's, I, th I think, one thing, if we could all keep that in mind, you know, that it's really important to let people have their story, their grief. And if you're acknowledging it, to acknowledge it and not how you too have suffered. Absolutely. Absolutely. That listening first and then connecting, if invited, second. Right. Absolutely. How do you take your experience with grief and loss into your business, into your offerings now, whether that's continuing to do yoga or your podcast or the books that you've written, how do you connect yourself with other grieving hearts that you find through your work? You know, I, what's really interesting is I have quite a few clients who have lost parents and it's not at all that they all knew that I worked with people who dealt with loss. It's just somehow they have found me. And I find that to be a, such an honor and a gift to be able to work with people who have lost family members because I 
can um, empathize with the challenge around it. And I also definitely want to be able to work with people who have also lost, um, you know, pets. That's an area where I would like to also help specialize. And I'm studying veterinary social work on the side. And so that's another way where I think that will be helpful. But I definitely bring this into my work. And I bring it in in the fact of a giving resources. So I've got a few books that I always recommend or I'll send to friends or, you know, loved ones whenever they have lost um, a family member or a pet. That tends to be, you know, being able to share these resources and also to hold a space for them from someone who really gets it. You know, I think it would be hard to fully do that if you've just studied loss and grief. I mean, I think that would be so powerful, right? Because you've got all the theory. But to have the practice of actually having been through some pretty significant losses is uh, is also and studied it. I think is also incredibly, incredibly therapeutic for for clients, for friends, um, you know, and for writing. What are some of the resources that you hand out? I have a favorite book, and I realized I was like, oh, I wish I had it in front of me. And it's actually at the office because I use it so much with clients. Mm. But what it's called, it's so good, is uh, grieving mindfully. Ooh, I'm writing that one down. Since I don't have it in front of me, what I did is I pulled up a blog post that I wrote in 2012, a couple months after I lost grandma, and I have a bunch of quotes from it that I found particularly helpful. So if you'd like, I'd be happy to read some of these. Yes, if you could pick a favorite, that would be awesome. Let's see. I mean, there's so many. I think I wrote like 15 in this. Um, So to pick a favorite might be tricky. Um, Okay, this is interesting. Although grief stems from the loss of a relationship in some form, it can also be the beginning of a much larger journey, a journey into the very meaning of your life. Okay, no big deal, right? I mean, that's huge, huge. Massive. This is really interesting, too. In this loss, your identity becomes unstable. You feel an eerie sense of life going on, yet being radically different. I mean, that is like, oh my God, this book is amazing. And it's thin, so people can read it quickly. There's also some exercises in it, and it's written by a therapist from Florida. So I don't, I can't recommend this book more highly. The losses that you've experienced have put you in a place where you've been able to create more meaning in your life. It sounds like your life was very meaningful already, but um, especially with the loss of your grandmother to be able to step back and say, how much work, how much energy do I really need to be focusing into these places? How much can I take for myself? And then uh, with your cat and then with Mr. Louie, it's this whole process of how can I keep remembering? How can I um, create rituals and honor and memorialize and, and continue relationships, even if they're physically no longer with me. And so it sounds like you have used this concept of inserting these chunks of tranquility into your life to create these pockets just of, of acknowledgement that they're still here. Yes. Yes. I love it. Excellent. Well, as we're coming to the end of our interview time today, I would absolutely love to let my listeners know where they can find you, uh, how they can work with you, and if you've got anything else coming up that we should all know about. 
absolutely. I'd love to I'd love to connect with your listeners and I can be find it found at KimberlyWilson.com. So very easy. And you know, I, I lead retreats, I offer mentoring, I offer therapy for those of you in the DC area. And um, you know, I have some books out there on how to find tranquility in everyday life and a podcast on it's called Tranquility Du Jour. So again, this I, I think I'm French. I'm so not French. I'm actually German <laughs> and English. <laughs> so I have all these like random French things and I'm like, my boyfriend's always like, you are not French. I'm more French than you are. He did Ancestry.com, right? And I'm like, that's so not fair. Uh, but yeah, so I've got Tranquility Du Jour and it's this idea, right, of how do we interject tranquility into our everyday, even when we're dealing with loss, you know, with disappointments and, you know, just there's so much. And, you know, last year, having sold my yoga studios, that was a really interesting piece about loss too, right? Of letting go of something you have birthed and nurtured for 18 years. One book that I recommend from that process is called Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes. That's a really good book too, because sometimes it's, it is loss, right? It can be death or it can be, you know, the death of not, not actually a breathing being, a sentient being. It could actually be the death of, you know, a a business, something that you have, you have to let go of, you decided to let go of. And so that I think is just an, you know, really important thing to keep in mind and that I try to share my experience through the work that I do and offer. Well, thank you so much, Kimberly, for coming on the show today. I'm so glad that one of our grief growers asked that I reach out to you because I think within this show, there's been so much validation for, for losses that you've experienced over the long term. The, you know, it doesn't matter that she lived a good life, quote unquote. I, I wanted more of that. And also for all of our grief growers out there who I know are listening who have lost pets in the last in the last couple of years or so and in their lifetime. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Shelby. I really appreciate it. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to Kimberly Wilson, who one of our grief growers requested be on the show. Kimberly came back by taking a sabbatical from her work, seeing a hospice grief counselor, writing, reading, and finding tangible ways to memorialize her loved ones in her day-to-day life. You can find a link to Kimberly's work as well as two articles she wrote on the grief of losing Louis the Puck in today's show notes. Join me for Facebook Live this Monday, February 5th at 1 o'clock Central Time. We'll be talking all about pet loss, how pets are different than people, why it's so, so hard to lose them, and how we can keep their memories alive after they've gone. We have some new Patreon supporters to honor this week. Shout out to Nara, a wonderfully active member of the Grief Growers Garden, for pledging to support coming back on Patreon. Thank you so, so much for keeping the podcast going. As a reminder, Patreon is a set-it-and-forget-it way to support the show each month and to get rewarded for doing it. You can find a link to my Patreon page in the show notes if you'd like to support, just like Nara. Another way to support the show is to subscribe and tell a friend about coming back because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you always to Mr. Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. And as always, you can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby Forsythia, or simply ShelbyForsythia.com. 
If you'd like to leave a question or a comment for a future show or suggest a guest, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com subject line podcast. As always, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.